0: Good morning everyone, if I don't know you, uh, my name's Josh and I'm the teaching pastor here at Cornerstone and the next month or so I'm going to earn my money uh, because I'm going to preach for a few weeks in a row and um, Winnie is going to uh, just be able to put my slides up there in a moment and I'm just going to dive right in to This series that's going to be um, punctuated by Pentecost uh, next week, but we'll carry on for a few weeks after. And it is the series we're calling We Are the Church. And every week um, we're going to sort of shade it slightly differently. Um, But you'll see even over the next few slides where we're going this morning. I wonder what sort of picture forms in your mind... When I say the word church, um, I wonder if uh, you think of um, anything in particular, and I'm going to give you some options in a moment, um, but I want to exhort you this morning or implore you to think of the church this morning in terms of the community Of the Spirit. It is one of the major ways that Scripture speaks about the church. And I'm going to take you through three, I hope, pretty brief points to kind of make my uh, point or bring Scripture uh, to our hearts and minds this morning. I want to uh, talk about the sponge, I want to talk about the overwhelming, and I want to talk about the flame. So the sponge, the overwhelming, and the flame. Perhaps when you hear the word church, you see uh, a building that's a variation of this, a humble building um, with a steeple somewhere, somewhere rural in a field maybe. That doesn't look like Australia, but there's Australian versions of that if you go out bush. Maybe you think of something a little uh, grander. Maybe you think of a a cathedral. Um, That'd be nice, wouldn't it, sometimes, to be able to walk into a building that looks like that. Maybe you're a little more contemporary and you think of um, a way of worshipping. Um, Maybe it doesn't really matter if you're even meeting in a shed if the lights are dim enough and the music is emotive enough. Uh, Maybe that's church for you. Um, there's a chance that um, if you've been around church for a while, and, and maybe particularly if you've been around this church, you think of um, the people, right? You can look around you and associate church with the people that are in this room. had a conversation with Cheryl and my wife this week. I don't know what I did um, to prompt it exactly, Um maybe I was overstepping uh, the kind of husband mark and going into pastor territory, she told me in no uncertain terms that her pastor was Graham. Um, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, you know, for Cheryl and myself and for for many um, people middle-aged and under at this church, Graham's been our pastor. He was our our youth pastor. He's been the one who's kind of been the primary shepherd in our lives. So maybe you think of a pastor or some people. Last week, um, one of my pastors in the journey of my life, Pastor Tim um, from Vancouver was with us, and he shared this image. and, And I was really impressed uh, with this image I've got to say it's a slightly uncomfortable image for me I don't know if anyone else um, responds to it that way if you look at it and you kind of think I get what it's saying (laughs) it's got this kind of uh, story from Matthew's gospel running through it about um, the kingdom of heaven being like a wedding banquet, right? So Pastor Tim uh, shared this story last week where uh, there's a king and he plans this fancy feast um, as a part of a a wedding banquet um, and uh, lots of the people that he has invited don't come. And they've got kind of um, some lame excuses for not coming, some maybe understandable excuses for not coming. And so the king tells his servants, hey, just go out to the highways and byways and find whoever wants to come and they will be welcome at the, the wedding banquet. They will be welcome at this feast. It actually says um, the good or the bad. <laughs> the kingdom of God, uh, Pastor Tim was reminding us last week, is like this. There's going to be people around the table that make us feel uncomfortable, maybe. Uh, There's a chance that um, the fact that it's such an open table might be a threat to some of us who sort of feel like we're worthy to sit at the table. I really um, found it a compelling picture. Um, But, you know... There's an important distinction to be made between the Kingdom of God, which is the subject of this painting, the subject of that parable from Matthew that Pastor Tim spoke about last week, and um, the church. I don't know if you've thought about this. This is about as kind of technical as I'll get in this message, because I really want um, to be drawing from Scripture as much as from systematic theology, and all the people said... Amen. Um, But this is uh, a distinction that is made by theologians and kind of Christian thinkers across the church, whether they're Catholics or Anglicans or Baptists or Pentecostals. There's sort of this uh, little caveat where we're like, be careful, as compelling as the picture of the kingdom of God is, as challenging as it might be, as much as it should be something that we should be going after as Christians, don't confuse the church exactly with the kingdom of God. And the main reason uh, why we're so adamant about that, uh, those of us who think about these things and have the privilege of sort of leading church communities, is really about the fact that um, the church can let us down. (laughs) And in particular, church leaders can let us down. The kingdom is entirely uh, coordinated, ruled by King Jesus. It's terrifying to think. I I don't quite understand it. But in his mystery, he makes we frail humans um, largely responsible for the church. And so things go wrong. The church and the kingdom are not exactly... The same, And I'm going to go into this uh, a little bit um, as we go into the first image that I wanted to kind of hang this message on. And that is the image of the sponge. So one of the things that uh, Pastor Tim talked about when he was here with us is he talked about the necessity that the church is, and this is a funny word, but porous. So he said church communities should have like holes in them uh, that people who aren't necessarily identifying with the church or Christians or even necessarily understanding Jesus have a kind of way into our shared life. A little bit like that picture of the banquet that um, we aren't so sort of exclusive here that the things we do aren't so inward-looking, that there aren't people who, you know, are in our neighbourhood or in our communities around us uh, that don't have some kind of interaction with us, that don't somehow share in the blessings that we have uh, because we've been drawn together in the way that we have. There's a strong resonance uh, between this picture of the church as like a sponge with space in between, with access into it. There's a strong resonance between it and the parable of the wedding banquet. God says to his servants in the story, go to the street corners and invite anyone that you can find, the bad as well as the good. And whilst it's important that we see the church and the kingdom as slightly Different, not exactly the same thing. I think there should be a resonance here that the church has this quality of the kingdom of God where it is open, where there is a way into it for all people. You might have heard um, this kind of little quip about being a Christian. Um, going to church doesn't make you a Christian in the same way that going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. Has anyone heard that before? Um, I think it's uh, kind of speaking to a truth in a way. But it does prompt the question for me, well, um, does having some involvement with the church actually make you a part of the church. If the church is enough like the kingdom in that it's porous and people can come in regardless of where they're at with God, regardless of exactly what they think or how they self-identify, if the church is like that, if there could be people even sitting here this morning who are going, yeah, I still don't really know what I think about all this. I kind of wonder, well, like, where does the boundary lie, right? Like, um, are we all a part of the church? Whether um, we come and we're not sure about Jesus or we kind of have some interaction with the church because um, we, they run, we run programs, for instance. Mainly music runs out of the blue room and people from the neighborhood come. So, like, are they in the church when they do that, when they're in the church building when they're hearing songs about Jesus sung, when they're kind of interacting with questions it gets a little murky and a little gray maybe it's complicated I think the Maccas thing and I really hesitate to go too deep into the Maccas analogy but it's got a bit of that going as well like not everybody who um, has any level of contact with McDonald's is really a part of the McDonald's story, are they? Just because you go to the Gabba and you get a free Big Mac because the Lions score more than 70 points or whatever it is, that doesn't mean you're really a part of the McDonald's story. Does it it qualify maybe if you get a Big Mac every week or maybe you own a franchise, um, if you identify as a Big Mac? (laughs) Um, You know, like, what qualifies us to kind of be a part or not a part? of the, the McDonald's story, it's complicated in the same way that it's complicated to kind of talk about, well, who's really in the church? Who is the church? There might be a sense in which not everyone who walks through these doors or maybe even has spent a season of their life in a church um, is a part of the church in the way that the Bible talks about it in the truest and deepest sense so where are the boundaries of that what does it mean you know jesus um, and people who wrestle with the church often point this out didn't um come to start a religion right he he came and he started a a movement and and a mission he came not preaching about the church though the Bible does speak about the church, but preaching about the kingdom of God, didn't he? Um, And the way that it works if you read the New Testament is the ministry and the mission of Jesus, which is about the preaching of the kingdom of God, is actually what gives birth to the church. So they're connected, though they might not be uh, exactly the same thing. And... Our passage for this morning um, brings that into focus for us. Let me just read it for us briefly. So John the Baptist has been baptizing people. People have been coming out of the cities into the wilderness where he baptizes them in the Jordan River. And people begin to question, well, is this the Messiah? Is this baptism that we're receiving from John Connected to him being the one that we've waited for for so long. And John answers them. It says here in Luke 3, uh, verse 16, I baptize you with or in water. The Greek could sort of mean either thing there. Uh, But one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So John's saying I'm not even, I don't, this this guy shades me in every way, the one who is to come. There will be no confusion about whether I'm the Messiah when he comes. And he will baptize you with or in the Holy Spirit and fire. The church has long held baptism, water baptism, as a sort of rite of passage to come into the church, to kind of identify with the church. Sometimes it's talked about in terms of a baptism of repentance. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance where people were saying, I want to leave my old life and I want to be a part of what God's doing. But we see here that Jesus, John says, is going to take things even further. Uh, Pastor Tim, who who shared with us last week, uh, he has this great um, response that I've heard him make before, because he's, as he mentioned, doing um, ministry in a in a really kind of secular post-Christian neighbourhood there in Vancouver, and he has lots of people, kind of, it's a very porous community, like the sponge, lots of people who are wrestling with, well, I, I, I like Jesus, I, I like the idea of Christian community, I might be okay with the term Christian, but Um, I just have really mixed feelings about the church. I want to be a Christian or have a kind of Christian spirituality without being a part of the church. And Pastor Tim says this, uh, that's no problem. As long as you can gather people together in a way that everybody is being formed and transformed into the image of Christ and you are loving your your neighbours and you are living a porous life in your neighbourhood and you're beginning to address uh, systemic issues in society. You don't have to call yourself a part of the church. And he says that with a a bit of a wry smile, because that is the church, right? As soon as you want to do the things that Jesus' mission means that we should be about, we kind of got to organize ourselves, and we end up um, being a part of something that for all intents and purposes is the church. We could quibble about whether we want to call it the church. But this organisation of people who are about the mission of God end up the church. It um, makes me think about the kind of two-step process that is going on. In this passage, there is a, a baptism of repentance, and it's a baptism that we've often identified as a way into the church. And yet, there is another stage or something, baptism uh, that Luke talks about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and in fire. It reminded me of um, a conversation I had just recently with the youth pastor that. I had, I think, before Pastor Graham, and um, he reached out to me just recently because actually we didn't have the best time together. He's a great guy. He was in in the army, and he was running the the youth group at Cornerstone, you know, in his extra time, though he had this quite demanding career. And when he came into the job, uh, just right from the outset, we were kind of put at odds, um, he thought it would be a good thing to talk to the pastor's kid, who was me, about you know, what I wanted from church, what my vision was for church, how I was feeling about church. And um, as he asks me these questions, I responded as a 16-year-old who probably would never choose to be a pastor's kid. I said, listen, you know, it was my community. I was, I was okay with the people that I was with. Um, I was actually all right with going to church every Sunday, but there was so much about church that I was really uncomfortable with. I think I was in the middle of a pretty normal wrestle for a 16-year-old um, in the West, and I said, "You know, I'm not—I'm um, not looking to sort of start a revival." Was the phrase that that I used. I said, "I'm not looking to start a revival, but I'm happy to basically be along for the ride." And where we got off on the wrong foot is he said, yeah, well, I want to challenge you that if you don't want to see revival, you're not really a Christian. (laughs) Or there's something missing. (laughs) You you all drew a breath in, right? Because you can see that was a dumb thing to say to a 16-year-old. And God bless him. He, we hadn't spoken for years, but he reached out to me uh, just recently and said, you know, I did some dumb stuff as a youth <laughs> pastor and I just want to apologize to you. He said, I was just so zealous and, you know, I, I messed up. And I could say wholeheartedly, you know, I get it. I, I, it wasn't even a matter of forgiving him. Uh, he, he was doing his best. And what I want to say uh, this morning, though it's tricky, kind of was right in some ways, he kind of was right I think there's a sense in which I maybe had had that kind of first experience that we might identify with the kind of baptism of repentance where i've gone yeah jesus i I can be a part of this thing, um, but somehow my heart wasn't completely taken up with the mission of Jesus in the world. The news wasn't so good to me that I couldn't help but share it, that I, that I wasn't captivated and, and dreaming about what would it mean for other people to come to know the goodness of God in the way that I've come to know it. I don't know if I was a McDonald's customer or a Big Mac or... Uh, someone working at the till, so I'm going to boot the an uh, analogy now. But you see what I'm saying? Like, what, what was I in the church? I, I don't know. I think I had a place. But I think I somehow fell a little bit short of something that John's talking about here. Fire. If you read... Uh, the gospel that this uh, passage comes from, Luke's gospel, and then its kind of companion piece, uh, the book of Acts. Uh, When the people who put the order of the Bible together put John in the middle, I don't know if they just felt like we might need to take a break. It was sort of like season one and then switching to Seinfeld for a season and then going uh, back to the new thing that's come out. But uh, Luke and Acts should really be read together and they tell the story, first of Jesus' mission and ministry, but then of the mission and ministry of Jesus as it is continued by his disciples. Um, And this idea of baptism in the Spirit and fire comes up time and time again. And it speaks to something, and you can see, I, I hope you see that I'm wrestling with this. I'm not sort of saying this from a kind of uh, this is the way that it is and it's easy and you just need to get on board or you're, you're not a Christian, maybe like uh, my youth pastor said. It's, n- it's not as simple as that. I'm just inviting you into a wrestle here. Um, but it does talk about this baptism in the Spirit thing, which has been really central for us as, as Pentecostals. I don't know if we've nailed the doctrine, but we have this doctrine, this idea that it, you are water-baptized, But then there is this other baptism that is available a baptism of power, a baptism of fire, a baptism in the Holy Spirit, a baptism that uh, manifests um, most often with speaking in strange tongues. This uh, is Pentecostalism's attempt to kind of make sense of what's going on in the Bible and particularly. Luke, and Acts. Repentance, the story is in the gospel and in Acts, is absolutely essential to being able to open up our lives to the kingship and the salvation of Jesus. But in order to truly be on the mission of the kingdom, there has to be something more. Just track this with me for a second. If you were to open up your Bibles, if you've got them in front of you, right at the beginning of Luke, uh, Jesus is baptized by John in this passage that we've looked at. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He uh, goes into the wilderness, you might remember. And then when he comes back from that 40 days and 40 nights of testing. He goes to the synagogue in the area of uh, first century Palestine that he's from. And it says that uh, he was empowered or in the power of the Spirit. And you might remember, uh, as he's under the power of the Spirit, he goes into the synagogue and he stands up and he reads from Scripture, right? And what does he read? Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. So this is the mission and the ministry of God. The Spirit is empowering him for. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to uh, proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So even the Son of God... In order to be on the mission of God, the Spirit comes upon him. That's a mystery. And so it makes sense that when we read through Acts, as the disciples take up his mission, we can see the centrality of the Spirit coming upon them. In Acts 2, you know the story, the Holy Spirit descends on those who wait in the upper room, as Chris reminded us. In Acts 4, where Peter and John have to defend themselves against the religious leaders of their time, the Jewish religious leaders, it says in verse 31 of chapter 4, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And it goes on to speak of their common life together. In Acts 6, where they have to choose the first deacons who are sort of like administrators in the church, but real servants and ministers in that, it says, Choose seven men from among you who are well known and known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. The mission of Jesus, which is the mission of the church as we read about in Luke 3 here, requires us being Overwhelmed by the Spirit. And I'm about to touch down in my third point here. To be overwhelmed by the Spirit. You know, I don't think that means you have to be crazy and kooky like Pentecostals often are necessarily. But what it means is that you have to be so taken by the mission and the ministry of God, what Jesus quoted in the synagogue from Isaiah 6, that it changes your life. That you're not just a liquid that's drawn into a sponge, that you're not just some sort of passenger, but your whole life, whether you're an accountant or a teacher or a pastor or a bus driver, is shaped by the fact that God is doing something good in the world and you can't help but make your whole life about that. To be overwhelmed, to be drowned or buried beneath a mass of something. I'm going to get the team um, up on the stage. Thanks. This is my final brief point. I don't know if you've had the the blessing (laughs) of camping more than um, a night with a fire, with a real fire. Um, Even if you're not a camper, I think you should do that once in your life. Have a real fire and sleep in proximity to it, somewhat outside. A fireplace will kind of uh, come in as a close second best. But you you might have had that experience of having a roaring fire over dinner, um, sat around it with the people that you're with, talking into the night And um, just letting the fire burn down. It'd be a great time of year to do this actually, wouldn't it? And then when you get up in the morning, sometimes it looks like the fire's done, right? Like it's just ash. Um, But if you look closely, oftentimes there'll be just an ember or two on the bottom side of a coal. And who knows if you blow on an ember like that, and you've got enough kindling, it's really not that difficult to bring a fire that looks like it is dead back to life. Has anyone had that experience? Here's what I want to sort of lay on us for the week. As Pastor Graham said next week, um, we're going to lean further into this idea that the Holy Spirit wants to do something new and fresh in our lives, that that there is power available. You know, maybe you don't have any experience of that. Maybe you've had an experience of that at some point in the past, but it's like you've woken up and uh, it's mostly ash. I spoke last week about how we can position ourselves... In the same way that my kids and I were surfing the wind with our hands out the doors of our car uh, as we drove a country road the other day. The wind's always rushing past. We just needed to get our hands out to feel it. And I encouraged you as we worshipped to put your hands out lest the Holy Spirit would want to blow over you. I'm really just encouraging you to do the same thing this morning.